This is Derek Ferguson. And this is Thomas DJ. And we're here with a very special episode of Better in the Dawn. And you're going to see why in a minute. But first, I just wanted to throw a question out there for our writer friends. Because Tom and I are privileged and proud to know many of you out there who are brilliant writers, such right. as myself and Tom, if I may say I so. I don't know why I call myself brilliant. Well, no, I'll okay. call myself brilliant right. then. But Tom and I were just having a discussion before we came on because the subject of our one of the episodes we're going to be doing today because we're doing this on December 3rd. December 3rd. This yeah. is uh, this is traditionally the last recording day of the year so Derek and I can go and be crazy during the holidays. Right. This is actually going to be the last show you're going to hear this year and it's timed in such a way to tie in with a big new release in just in time for Christmas. Right. So, by the way, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, yeah, and Happy New Year, and we hope everybody Kwanzaa is... Kwanzaa and Ted Kwanzaa, and all, yeah. all the other holidays. Hanukkah and... Or as my friends used to call it, Hanukkah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever and however you worship. Is it weird, by the way, for you to hear Louis Black doing lottery commercials now? Nothing surprises me anymore. I mean that literally. After this great new reality show that I've been watching... On television. Oh, have one? you seen it? The one with all the comedians that they pretend they're trying to run for president? No, I haven't seen this one yet. Yeah. You know 
mean, I'm not a big reality show fan. I mean, the last reality show. Oh, they watched, got a, Oh, they got a comedian named Herman Cain. He's yeah. the funniest guy. <laughs> I don't know where they got this guy from. And they got this other guy named Gingrich. Yes. And they got this chick, and it's a great reality show. Uh, and these people are actually the one with the fake looking husband who claims to be doing this boot camp for gay people. Yeah, it's the best reality show I've ever seen. And they're bringing Donald Trump into it. Oh boy, <laughs> I'm telling you, you got to watch this thing, man. It's hilarious. But getting back to what I was yeah. saying, Tom and I was having this conversation because the subject of the episode we're going to talk about it's based on a series of very popular books that were written, and Tom was just. Telling me how there were fragments and notes right. that were found of other books he wanted to mm-hmm. do to continue this series. And Tom had made mention that when he goes on and shuffles off this mortal coil and goes to his reward, whatever that will be, <laughs> he wants all of his notes and all of your unfinished stories, right. and you want all of that stuff burned and destroyed. Right. I just want to throw it out there to our writer friends. What do you want done with your unfinished stories and notes and manuscripts when you pass away? Do you care if anybody takes them and goes ahead and finishes them? Right. Or do you want them destroyed? Or do you want them placed in plastic for posterity or buried See, in time? Cal- whatever. Just get on either the message board or get on our Facebook, right. Better in the Dark Facebook, Facebook page, page and let you can go, go to Facebook, look, type in Better in the Dark, and you'll find us there. And let us know. But I was having this discussion with my friend Manny, and I was kind of arguing with the fact that generally if you abandon a fragment, it's for a very good reason. Right. I don't want people to see that, or even worse, I don't want some August or Leth wannabe to come by and finish them in a ham-fisted, stupid way. I gotcha. He was arguing that even these fragments are a window into the mm-hmm. creative process, and I'm all for people going in, like the project I'm working on now, right. being able to see the documents that you've seen and right. that my editor has seen the, about the characters and mm-hmm. about the costuming and the outlines and stuff. That, to me, is a legitimate part of the creative process. Mm-hmm. Some of the little fragments and stuff are just represent creative dead ends. I don't want people to see the goofy manga I tried to get off the ground some 10, 15 years ago. See, you made a good point there. Now, say that I pass away, which probably mm-hmm. won't happen since I intend to live forever, and mm-hmm. I'm working hard at it. Right. But now, if somebody came to you, yeah. or say like Russ Anderson, or somebody who knew me, or Josh Reynolds, mm-hmm. or Joe Jenkins, or Dino, or somebody like that, somebody who knows me and says, well, listen, this is what Derek was working on. Would you finish it? That I wouldn't mind, because you guys know me, right. and you know and okay, I have a, I'd have a very good idea of where you were heading. Exactly. I wouldn't mind that. But to get some third stringer right. that couldn't cut it with his own stuff and say, okay, well, here, take this and you Give know, it to Stephanie Meyer and say, hey, Stephanie Meyer. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you know what would happen. What? Dylan would sparkle. Well, absolutely. He'd be sparkly <laughs> like a... <laughs> no, nah, Derek, don't go there. Anyway... <laughs> Let's get on track with what we're talking about here. And in this episode, Tom and I have been talking about doing this for quite a while. For one reason or another, it never happened. But it is going to happen today. Today, we are going to take a look in anticipation of the highly anticipated... American remake, which is going to star Daniel Craig, that it starts Christmas Day. It starts opens Christmas Day, yeah. We're talking about what is officially known as the Millennium Trilogy. Right. Some people call it the Girl, Girl Who Trilogy, and it's comprised of, let me see if I can do this from memory, the girl with the dragon tattoo, uh, the girl who played with fire, Ding. And the girl who kicked the hornet's nest. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. And now you get a new car. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have the girl who was showing the car? 
<laughs> Tom and I have seen all of these movies. Right. I have not read the books. Neither I, have I. I have the books <laughs> somewhere around here, but I have not read any of the books. But like most people, I think that I saw the movies first. Right. And was completely blown away by them, especially the first one. Even though, let me say, first off the bat, that I love all of them, and all of them are good. But I think the first one, was when I saw it, it was holy shit. The first one is literally a little perfect machine. The first one, the girl with the the dragon tattoo. There's not the one part that's extraneous on that film. Yeah, if you took any element out of it, I mean any element, Mm -hmm. it would completely fall apart. To briefly give you the plot... There is now, hold on, give me a second because I got to bring up so right. that I can. These Dutch names, they're a killer. So if I mispronounce any of these names, folks, please excuse me. We are introduced to a Dutch journalist named Mikhail Blumquist, played by Michael Nye. Kavist, like I said, I'm not Dutch, so forgive me. He's the editor and publisher of this little political magazine called Millennium. It kind of strikes me as it's kind of like the equivalent of, let's say, the New Statesman used to be. Village Voice. Yeah, Village Voice had balls. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. when it wasn't a transvestite. I know exactly what you're talking about. But he loses a libel case because it's this billionaire financier. He accused of double dealing Mm -hmm. and he had evidence on him. And it turns out that the evidence was deliberately leaked to him so that he could be framed for this and sent to jail. I mean, it's not a big deal. He's only going to go for six months, I think. He's not even going to go for a whole year. And it's probably the Swedish equivalent of Club Fat. Yeah, exactly. As a matter of fact, we do see later on in the movie when he's at jail, they leave the doors open and they just walk around. It's not a big deal. But it is a big deal in the sense that it destroys his credibility. Mm -hmm. Well, not destroys it, but enough so that this billionaire financier, he gets off. At the same time, we are also introduced to Lisbeth Salander, played by Numi Rapace. Right. Who is also going to be seen in the Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, coming out in December also. She's a hacker. She's a surveillance expert. What happens is that she's working for the guy that wants to hire Bloomquist to find out who murdered Mickey, he's out of work. He's hired by Henrik Vanger, who runs the Vanger Corporation. And the Vanger family is rich and powerful and fabulous and all this kind of stuff. And every year, he gets a different type of flower in a frame that's sent from different parts of the world. And he thinks it's being sent by the person who murdered his beloved niece, who was murdered something like 30 years ago, right? back in the 60s. And Vanger is convinced it's a member of his family. Now, Lisbeth, through his agents, Vanger had hired Lisbeth to investigate Bloomquist and make sure that right. this was the guy he wanted to investigate this crime. For a large part of the movie, they're not even Which together. Which is the brilliance, is that there's over an hour where these two leads do not meet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She knows about him, mm-hmm. but he doesn't know about her until gradually, and then when he does, he goes to her and says, if you were good enough to find out all this about me, then you're good enough to help me solve this murder. And that's when they hook up together, and that's when they officially become a team, and they start investigating Mm -hmm. this heinous crime that leads them through this family, and also leads us into Elizabeth's background a little bit that isn't really brought out until the next movie, which is... But we'll get to that. But this movie, this is where we find out a lot about Elizabeth, who to me is one of the most incredibly fascinating characters I have ever seen in the movies in a long One of the brilliance of this film is it's a hard-boiled film noir. Right. 
However, the gender roles are totally switched. Yeah. It's Mickey, who is kind of the femme fatale sidekick. Mm-hmm. And it's Elizabeth, who is the kicker of much ass, who is the knight whose mean streets must trot. When I was watching this movie first time, I couldn't help but think, the X-Files would have been so much more interesting <laughs> if Mulder and Scully had been like this. Because she's a character that's been through horrendous mm-hmm. stuff. She went through sexual and physical abuse when, since she was a child. But however, she hasn't let it destroy her. She's come back a much stronger person. She's made her own way, and she doesn't take any shit from right. anybody. I mean, the revenge if she gets on her parole officer. Yeah, we're going to have to discuss this because it keeps coming up throughout the three books. Because she's on probation and she had this lovely relationship with her first probationary officer, which was almost familial. But he becomes too old and he retires. And then she gets the new guy. Who is a little creepy, pedophilic piece of garbage. Well, yeah, he is. He's a fright. (laughs) And the film does not shy away from this. She gets raped. First time that he meets her, he forces her to perform oral sex on her. And he tells her flat out, this is how it's going to happen. Because her computer gets wrecked. She's attacked by a street gang. And she needs a new one, of course, to work. And the guy won't give her the money unless she performs oral sex on her. Mm -hmm. And he tells her flat out, you're going to do what I say when I say it, or else I'm going to send your ass back to jail. And she concocts this plan to get evidence against him and get revenge. It entails letting the guy rape her, really. She knows that's what he's going to do. And the scene... It's it's brutal. Yeah, it is. It's... Not sexualized in any way. It is a hundred percent an act of violence. Yeah, me and my wife were watching it, and Patricia, since she's been watching movies with me, she has developed a pretty mm-hmm. strong stomach because of the stuff that I watch. But when that scene came on. She got up and said, listen, call me when that's yeah. over. And even me, I was like, kind of, holy shit. If you've got any kind of delicate sensibilities at all, and I say this for male and female, mm-hmm. be advised if you haven't seen this movie yet. I remember before seeing this, I saw a lot where they warned about the extremity of the violence. This is really the only violence that is that uncomfortable. There's almost something elegiac about some of the other depictions. There's that one scene where Mickey and Elizabeth are walking around the scene of a crime Mm -hmm. that they didn't realize was the scene of a crime. Oh, yeah, yeah. Until they pieced it together, Mm -hmm. and the director chooses them as they're walking. Kind of like almost walking back into the past. Yeah. We get to see the body as it would have appeared after it was first murdered. Right. And there's something almost beautiful about the way the cinematography is, and that's the thing. Mm -hmm. But this one, they don't want to make this anything other than what it is. Well, I think that it should be noted, too, and I'd just like to stress this to people, Mm -hmm. that even we've been talking about how brutal and how uncomfortable that it is, which is not gratuitous. For this subject matter, Mm -hmm. it is essential to the story that the violence be this brutal and be uncomfortable because it's that type of story. It's not like an action movie where something happens, but we know that everybody gets up at the end of the shoot and nobody is hurt. Everybody goes home and they're having fun. This is a totally different type of story. And sometimes that type of story calls for this level of violence to be depicted so that we know exactly who these characters are and how they get from A to B to C to D. And the sexual violence that Elizabeth underwent when she was younger made her able to go through with this plan to get the guy. But when she gets revenge on this guy, it's very satisfying the way that she does Mm -hmm. it. You know another reason why I like this movie so well? Why? Because, thank God, finally, for so long, we get an honest-to-God murder mystery. Yeah. Unfortunately, the problem with most American mystery movies, nowadays, once again, it's the blank has an action movie. 
You're right. thing, which we've talked about a lot, and we're probably going to we've been talking about doing an episode about the blank is an action movie syndrome. Right. Or if it is a quote unquote a legitimate mystery, the mystery is so thunderingly obvious because the producers are afraid of insulting the audience's intelligence. Or what they want to do is that the whole mystery depends on the trick at the end, yeah. the plot twist. The whole movie is just an excuse to get to the plot twist at the mm-hmm. end, where we're supposed to gasp and say. I never saw that coming. Yeah. Unfortunately, the problem with a lot of those movies is that that's the whole point of the movie is the right. twist. So you're telling me I'm just wasting 90 minutes of my life just to, so you can... And the thing is, is that usually with that kind of a movie, if you go back and look at it, it doesn't make sense. Not a lick of sense. Or else it's telegraphed so far in advance mm-hmm. that you have no problem figuring out who did the actual thing. But this is a movie, you're sitting there, and I had no idea who killed this girl, who the murderer right. was, or, or where this was going, until the end of the movie, which is how it's going to be in a murder movie. You're not yeah. supposed to figure out who did the murder until the end of the movie. And there's even a further twist after the solution has been reached. Yeah, right, okay, which we're not going to spoil. Which we're not going to spoil, yeah. but it, it ties in with what started Mickey on this road in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Even though the characters, they use their laptops, this isn't, a, because now we've gotten to where you have the detectives, to me, don't really do detecting. Right. They just get facts through their computers mm-hmm. and DNA and that's how they solve the crime. This is a movie where the two main characters who actually aren't detectives really are private eyes but they are investigative yeah. types in their own way mm-hmm. and what they bring to the table is their knowledge of human nature yes. and their experience, life experience to solve the crime mm-hmm. which to me I loved. I thought it was fascinating. That's what a murder mystery is supposed to be. The detective is supposed to solve it using his intelligence, his knowledge of human nature, and his life experience. And that's how he puts the pieces together. And that's what these two very fascinating main characters. And it also helps that the two actors have a tremendous amount of chemistry. Oh, absolutely. In fact, to the point where, and I'm usually the first person to start screaming bloody murder about these relationships in, in American movies where the one side is so much more older than the other side. This one, these two actors make it work. You know what I think it makes it work too? Because yeah, in an American movie, because it's very obvious that Mickey is, what would you say, he's about 10 to 15 years older easily. Because I don't think we're ever actually told exactly how old Elizabeth is. I get the impression that Elizabeth is probably about 19 or 20 years old. Yeah, but she's young. This is a guy that, if he couldn't be her father, he's close to it. But it works because of the way that... Well, first of all, they're both wounded people. Yeah. At, at the first. I was about to say that physically she may be 19 to 20, but in terms of life experience, she's easily yes, his equal. Here, in, term, yeah. in terms of life experience. And also, I mean, you look at Mickey, we don't get a lot of Mickey's personal life in this film. Mm-hmm. We get a lot more in the third film. Well, we see his sister. We yeah. know he has a sister. He has he's, a he's, sister. He's close to his sister. We know that he's in a relationship with one of his co-workers that we get the impression isn't quite on the up and up. I think it's hinted around that she's married. Yeah. I don't remember right now if it's ever come out and stated but I do remember I don't know if it's in this movie or the second movie we do have a scene where they're in bed together and she yeah. jumps up and makes illusion that she has yeah. to get back home for some reason and the way she's yeah. doing it made me think oh she's got to get back to her husband don't and, and also I got the impression that this isn't the first time he chose somebody sort of like Daniel Craig's James Bond who is obviously just wrong for him right who he can never settle down with and they both have their psychological flaws and it made sense when 
it happens in the film. Right. That this is not out of sexual or romantic desire, but just two people wanting to forget about their own problems for a while. To me, it was refreshing because I really, really get sick and tired of when you have American films. They have to shoehorn a romance in there. Yeah. They say, oh, well, we got to do that to get the women in there. The relationship between Mickey and Lisbeth in this one... Is handled very matter of fact. He's laying in his bed it's one night. Dare she, I say it, friends with benefits. Yeah. Because there's that wonderful scene towards the end where Elizabeth gets a call from her mother, of all people. Yeah, yeah. And she's saying, have you met someone? And she says, yeah, I've met someone, but we're not falling in love. Right. As we learn, I think that their relationship is stronger mm-hmm. for the fact that they're not romantic partners. Yeah. They go to bed, they have sex, they get up the next day, he wakes up. She's at her laptop. She's working. Mm-hmm. And all he said was he just walks over there and says, do you want to talk about it? She says, no. Nah. He says, okay. And they go back to work. I said, oh, thank you. <laughs> Finally, adults who act like adults. Just because we had sex doesn't right. mean we're in love. We're together for a long period of time. We're working hard. We need a break. Yeah. <laughs> so let's have sex. Why right. not? <laughs> it meant no more to them. And I just lost a bunch of female listeners, I know. But hey, to them, it was no more than if they were jogging someone together. Someone who hates the shippers to no end. I'm so grateful. Because the shippers have ruined so many television shows I loved. And that is never picked up on again. They yeah. never talk about it. It's not made an issue. Okay, we had sex, so what? Let's move on with the story. Let's right. go. In other words, the romance is not made an element that detracts right. us from what we're supposed to be doing, which is finding out who killed this exactly. girl. Exactly. Let's not muddy it up with, oh, do you love me? I love you. Yes. Did it mean anything? We spent yeah. 20 minutes of that bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this movie was a phenomenal hit. I do want to point out, and this is something that floors me about this, is that these films were made for Swedish television. Now, see, that I did not know. They were released theatrically everywhere else. Yeah. But in their native Sweden, they were on television. Is this what they watch in Sweden? That's what they watch in Sweden. Shit, I'm moving to Sweden, baby. <laughs> but, I mean, the point is, I mean, we're only just now in television getting to the point where something this mature could show up. Right. And even then, it's going to be on the, the premium channels. Yeah, well, if you watch stuff like FX, yeah. which has been doing it for years mm-hmm. with shows like the one about the plastic surgeons, Nip Tuck. And even in American television, we are so far behind. For a country that is so motivated by sex and is so fascinated by it and sex is pushed everywhere, we are so behind the rest of the world in terms of our attitudes towards sex that it's amazing to me. You look at programming in other countries, and sex is treated in a very yeah. matter-of-fact fashion. Actually, this is something that just happens, but it's not like in this country where it's sucks. Yes. <laughs> this movie, yeah, I saw it, I loved it, and I recommend it highly to everybody. If you want to see a solid, well-made murder mystery with fascinating characters. And just to put the cap on it, for me, another thing I like about this movie, it's got actors I've never seen before. Which yeah. is usually why I love foreign movies. Because I'm kind of dreading seeing the remake as much as I want to see it because it's still Daniel Craig up right but what is James Bond doing here but in this movie since I'd never seen these people before I didn't know anything about them yeah. I just accepted them as the character and that led to my enjoyment of and, it a lot know, more. I like well, this is something we, we've talked about in previous episodes and it stems from a conversation I had with Michael Bailey Nomi Rapace is an attractive woman yeah but she's not CW attractive yeah she's not movie star attractive right 
she is a very real kind of person you would see on the street. Just like the guy that played her co-star in this movie. Yeah, 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 he looks like a regular guy. He's not Daniel Craig. At the end of this journey, we're going to talk a bit about our anticipation of the Fincher thing. But if I have to choose somebody who's a major star... I would have gone with Liam Neeson myself. Yeah. But... Well, he's too busy punching wolves in the face. <laughs> they, could, they asked him, did he want to do it? He said, I got no, to, I'd rather punch wolves in the I'd face. I'd rather punch wolves in the face. <laughs> I've never been to the Arctic to punch wolves in the face. Yeah. But I did hear or read somewhere that, yeah, he was approached about this and asked yeah. did he want to do it. And he turned it down. And actually, I was looking at a picture of them side by side yeah. online. I see there yeah. is a resemblance. Well, the thing about Tomo. Craig is he's got that kind of like worn look on his face. Yeah. His face looks like it's been through hell and back. It looks lived in. And which is the same thing that Michael Nyquist has. He's not pretty. Nyquist is not... Oh, far from it. Nyquist looks like some schlub off the street. Right. He's not pretty. He looks like a guy who probably eats right. a little bit too much yeah. more than he should, drinks a little bit Ooh. too much more than he does, doesn't get the proper rest he should. He's not movie star handsome. And even Daniel Craig, he's a good looking guy, but he's not pretty and he's not what we think of now. Yeah. He fits more in that mold of actors that you and I grew like up Gary with. Cooper. Like Gary Cooper, like Ernest Borgnine, mm-hmm. like any a dozen other guys that you can name who were good looking guys, but they yeah. weren't impossibly pretty like most of the guys we got nowadays. Where do we go first? Here? Well, we go from here. The first film was successful, so they decided to make the second film yeah, off of the second book, which was <laughs> Played with Fire. Okay. Not my favorite. This is probably my least favorite of the three films. And you know what? I'm going to tell you why in a minute, but go ahead. Okay, no, no. I want to hear your theory about why. You know why? You didn't like it? Why? Because I'm going to tell you what this movie was. I am so brilliant. I killed myself. Okay. Was The Empire Strikes Back? But I like The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, you, you like I The Empire? like The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, then I take it back then. I was under the impression you yeah, Well, I don't like Star Wars as a whole, but of the original trilogy, that's the one that, that I, I hate the least. Let's put right. it that way. And you know something? Even among Star Wars yeah. fans like myself, will freely admit that out of all of them, The Empire Strikes Back is the best one. Yeah. But just look at how they're structured. In The Empire Strikes Back, we had our heroes separated, right. and they didn't get back together again until the end the of the movie. End, yeah. In this one, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Lisbeth and her partner in the her, first one, her and Mickey, Mickey, don't meet until the very last until scene. Until the very last scene of the movie. They're each following their own And, and one of them is so incapacitated, they can't even communicate. Well, this is what I'm saying. Because in, just like in The Empire Strikes Back, where the bad guys went after yeah. the good guys, this happens in this one, too. Where because Liz- we learn... Why Elizabeth is as screwed up as she is. Exactly. And, and, and it's a thing where she's on the defensive. Yeah. As we found out in the last movie, with circumstances mm-hmm. I'm not going to reveal, she came into a whole lot of money. Yeah. So she's been traveling the world and she's been enjoying herself and she's been chilling out and relaxing and just yeah. having fun. But she returns to Sweden because she finds out that the guy who was blackmailing her, right. her former parole officer, he was trying to get the tattoo removed that she puts on him. Yeah. And by her coming back to Sweden, it sets off a lot of red flags of right. people that have been looking for her since she disappeared. Now, at the same time, Mikhail, he hires this mm-hmm. reporter who's investigating the sex well, they've taken Yeah, they, they've taken on some new reporters at Millennium, right. including Dog, I think is his name. Right, Dog. Yeah, who is investigating the sex trade. Right, prostitution and sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. He's been investigating that. But what happens is that Dag is killed. Yes. And through a set of circumstances that, again, I don't want to reveal because it will detract from your enjoyment of the movie if you have not seen it, Lisbeth is framed for the crime. Right. So she's now on the run. And Mikhail finds out that she's back in Sweden because he had no 
no idea that she was right. back in Sweden. But what happens is that there's this big blonde. He has been trying to contact her, and every once in a while he'll get like little messages. She hasn't completely cut him off. He'll call her every once yeah. in a while, and she'll send him an email and say, listen, I'm fine, don't worry yeah. about me. He says, okay, well, that's cool. As long as I know she's all right. Well, when she's back in Sweden, she's living with her girlfriend. No, now see, that's the part about this movie that I like. Okay. She goes back to her old apartment. Right. But she doesn't stay there. But she lets one of her girlfriends stay there and says, listen, all I just want you to do is just get my mail. Right. She moves to another apartment and doesn't even tell the girlfriend right. where she's living at. Because she knows people are going to be after yeah. her. That's why she had to leave Sweden in the first place, because mm-hmm. she had left too many enemies behind. So she knows, and as a matter of fact, the girl gets kidnapped by the big blonde guy, who looks like he's Grant. Grant. Yeah, right, about to say, <laughs> who looks like a James Bond henchman. This was the problem I had with the film. There were a couple of problems I had with the film, which is why I think it didn't work as well for me as the first one. Mm-hmm. One was far, far, far too many new characters. We haven't even talked about the police detective, who I was kind of hoping was going to end up becoming the Lieutenant Jacoby. Yeah. Mickey and Elizabeth's Peter Gunn. Him and his two assistants were really cool characters. Yeah. You had Dag and Dag's girlfriend. Right. And, Dag, and then you have the, the girlfriend. girlfriend. You have the kickboxer. Yeah. Who was Elizabeth's who was an friend. Act, by the way, an actual MMA fighter. In the book, The Girl Who Kicks the Hornet's Nest, this uh, MMA fighter was a good friend of Steve Larson, so he wrote him in the book. Oh, wow. So when the time came to film the book, they just cast him as himself and just had him come wow, in. Yeah, that's cool. And you're right. This one, I like it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love this almost as much as the first one. But it's got twice as much plot as it needs. Especially when they bring in Elizabeth's father, who we thought she had burned up to death. Yeah. Because we had a flashback where her father was, was abusing her, to, yeah. her, her and her mother. And one day she just got tired of that shit, threw gasoline on him and set his ass on fire. But he survived. And then we find out that he was part of this secret German society yeah. ever since World War II. And, it, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> if we picked up what was the second Raymond Chandler novel? Uh, I don't know. Or it's like okay, like the people who were fans of Nick Carter, the Private Detective. Okay, and they pick up the first Nick Carter Slaymaster book from the sixties okay. and open it up, and all of a sudden Nick Carter is a spy. Yeah, that's how I felt. I thought after the first film, okay, this is what I'm going to get. I'm going to get a series of murder mysteries, and I open up the second movie, mm-hmm. and I'm all of a sudden in the middle of, and not even like a fun spy movie, mm-hmm. one of those grimy Cold War spy right, movies from the late seventies, from the late sixties. Right, like the yeah. spy who came in from the cold yeah, or something that like sort that. Of thing. Yeah, because and then we find out her father is again. Mm-hmm. That's why I made the Empire Strikes Back thing because we find out that her father's a bad guy who's trying to kill her. He can't stand his daughter at all. As a matter of fact, he shoots her not once but three. This is after folks. He has her buried alive. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other thing, is that there's almost the, the sense that some of these characters gain superpowers. Because you have the blonde character we refer to, who right. ha- turns out to be... I don't think that this is a big enough spoiler that we have to... Do. It happens to be Elizabeth's half-brother. Yeah. But has right. had his nervous system severed, so he doesn't feel pain. Well, the kickboxer, they have a great fight scene, yeah. by the way, and he gets his ass handed to him. But he does research on this guy, and he says, well, there's this disease yeah. that kills the nerves. Although, I do believe, I don't remember, but I think that there was mention, Elizabeth's father says something about he did have some surgical thing yeah. done at him. Because this guy gets hit. He gets yeah. everything except shot and stabbed. But and he I just mean, keeps getting back up, like a James Bond. Yeah, referring to what you just said about Liz, it, it kind of stretches the credibility of the film that she survives so much at the end of this movie. Yeah. And still standing. 
while not standing, lying down on a gurney with an oxygen mask on. I just felt that, whereas the first one was very streamlined. Yeah. There are a lot of things I really like. For example, I like the fact that we got a real sense of how Millennium worked as a working magazine. Yeah, we have we a lot of scenes. We get much the, yeah. more about Mickey's normal life mm-hmm. in this film. So we get a better sense of how he is as a journalist and as a human being. Mm-hmm. We don't see a lot about his personal life. That gets picked up again in the next film. But because we're, we're dealing so much with Millennium Magazine and he's collaborating with Dag and doing this and doing that, a lot of Elizabeth's scenes are just her going like this in front of her laptop. In front of a laptop, right. Granted, you can't see this, folks, but I've got the here with the thick yeah, pose he, going. He's, he's actually performing it. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. And also, it takes a a long time to get to what we want to see which is of course Mickey and Elizabeth working together again. As fascinating as interesting it is to see them following their yeah. two separate lines of investigation which hooks up at the end because eventually the thing with Elizabeth's father and yeah. the secret German society and the sex trafficking the right. sex with the sex trade. Right, story. exactly. They come together at the end. There are a lot of great scenes, the one where she beats the shit out of the two bikers. I, I find it very funny that Elizabeth's apparently a Yankee fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> figures. Yeah, figures. <laughs> I especially like the scenes where they're actively working on the story and they're putting together the story. There's one part where Dad calls up Mickey and says, "I found this," and uh, well, no, you can't put that in because we've already got this, yeah. this, this. It would take us too long to corroborate this, and you really can't introduce yeah. this. Let's save that for another one. I you like get that. a sense of how good he is as a journalist. Yeah, his instincts and how right. he puts together a story and what line that they should be following. Because another thing I liked was that short scene where Elizabeth visits her previous probationary officer because it gives you a sense that there was some light in her life yeah beforehand it's almost like she's a different person around him. Yeah, she goes to the she nursing home where nursing he's home. at yeah. and she feeds him and talking to him because Mickey finds the guy himself. Yeah. And he goes, I'm trying to find her and the probation officer is very cautious as to tell him because yeah. of course he knows where she is. It's all those nice little bits. Because fortunately we have to mention that they bring that scene back again in flashback. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Which, I understand why we have to revisit the thread again, but I don't think we had to revisit it that extensively. Yeah, but then again... You had got to look at that this is Dutch television, and they mm-hmm. probably didn't mind it the first time. And also, they also have to think of the people who might not have seen the first mm-hmm. one. So, yeah, they could have just had, because there's a part where Mickey gives his co-worker he's been having the affair with, Elizabeth's file. And he says, yeah. okay, here's a copy. If anything happens to me, you make sure this gets out. But I want you to see this, because see, his co-worker has been saying, well, what is it with you and this girl? And he said, yeah. listen, watch this, and you'll know why I want to help her. Right. So we see when she puts in the DVD and she's looking at it. Now you're right. For me and you who have seen it, we could have just got a shot of her looking at the screen and we know what she's seeing. But for the people who never saw the first movie, okay. they would have no idea why this woman mm. is so horrified. Now, of course, after she sees it, she says, yeah, well, you're right. We got to help this poor girl. Yeah, we right. got to help her. Mind you, he still never admitted he slept with her. Yes. <laughs> the dog. Yes. <laughs> I can understand the reasoning behind keeping themselves like, well, it worked in the first film for an hour. Let's try to do it for the whole. It just... But the thing is, is that we've been so invested in them as a team. Right. That we do want to see them together again at some point. And it's funny because the next film, they also don't share a lot of screen time at all. But it's handled a lot more deftly, so you don't miss it as much as you miss it here. And I would like to make mention of something here, something that I really appreciate about this movie. Elizabeth sleeps with both men and women. Yeah. The thing I like about it, it's never a big deal as 
was made about it, and she yeah. never identifies herself as being hetero or, or lesbian. Right. She just sleeps with whoever she likes, mm-hmm. which is something else I found amazingly refreshing. Yeah. That it wasn't a big de- the nature of her sexuality. But then again, that's probably because it, it was made for once again Swedish television, yeah. where Europe is not as freaked out. Yeah, alternative lifestyles as some of us here in the United States are. She doesn't go through this angst because anytime that they have a character in an American movie who's mm-hmm. gay or lesbian, they got to have this angst. She, she's got enough angst in the other areas yeah. of her life to not angst about this. Mm-hmm. No, it's just not that deep. And I found that quite refreshing and of course the hot lesbian love scene yeah. didn't, didn't hurt either. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to knock it. And this brings us to the final the final book and the final... Which I think is the longest because the movie's like two and a half hours yeah. long. The girl who... The girl who kicked the hornet's nest. nest. Okay, and I will let you do the... Since I hold the <laughs> plot summary in the first two. Let's see if I can remember this in a while. It starts with Elizabeth in jail. Well, due to her getting her ass kicked in the last one, she's taken to a hospital, along with her father, who survived having a pickaxe put in his back. Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Red Grant is also still hanging around. Yeah, because he escaped. Because at the end of the last movie, Mickey put together where she was at, and he brought the cops in. But anyway, her and her father, they're airlifted to a hospital. Meanwhile, Red Grant is still out there. Now, the secret German society comes to the hospital, and they tell Elizabeth's father, keep your mouth shut, and everything will be fine. But see, that's not good enough for him. Yeah, He says, now, bullshit on that. First of all, I want you to kill my daughter. And second of all, I want you to get me out of this mess. And they're saying quite reasonably, we can't get you out of this mess. It's too out there now. Because of the sex trafficking right. story that, that came that, that out. Right. Right. And he was involved in the sex trafficking. They said, no, you, you got to take your medicine like a man. Yeah. He said, bullshit on I that. I don't want to be a man. I don't want to be a man. You're going to get me out of here. So they said, okay. I man. want revenge on Mr. Bond. I'm sorry. I mean, my daughter. So they do what any self-respecting secret society yes. would do. They kill him. Right. In the meantime, what happens is that, hold on, let me look. I saw this, but I don't quite remember. Because you know why? If you thought the second one had too much plot to support yeah. the movie, this one has got three times as much plot yeah. because we've got Elizabeth goes on trial for all of the shit that she done did, including trying and, to kill. And Mickey prevails upon his sister to represent her, right? And she shows up at the trial in full seventies punk mode yeah. with her hair in a mohawk, and she's yeah. got rings through her nose, and she's got a dog collar, yeah. and she's got the black. And I find it fascinating that the poster image for the American version is that version. Yeah. Of Elizabeth. But then we'll get to that one when we get to that, because I have a little bit of worries at this point. So, we've got her on trial for her life. Wait a minute, I'm looking at the, the plot right. summary here, and it's just confusing me. <laughs> and, and I want to tell you something. I've seen the movie three times, and I'm still not sure of how all these characters interact. They got the thing with the secret society, and they really come forward in this one, and they're manipulating a lot of the things yeah. that go on behind the scenes. And there's child pornography involved in this, and you're just going to have to see this for yourself. Because the plot is really, really... You know what what I find kind of cool about this film? Once again, the roles get flipped, in that Mickey's the leg man. Right. By the the fact that Elizabeth is confined to quarters, if you will. Well, yeah. uh, He ends up becoming... And I love the fact that he actually has to go into her world and has to meet the guy who does all the work for her on her hardware. Plague. Right. Meanwhile... Elizabeth is the one interacting with his supporting cast. Uh, yeah, because she's confined to the hospital for half of the movie, yeah. and then the other half she's on trial. So, of course, exactly. she can't go anywhere. She can't do anything. But Mickey's the one that's got to go out. Now, he's a surveillance expert. Yeah. He's got to go out. He's got to take him 
more active role in doing this and gathering the information. She's interacting with his supporting yeah. cast and learning more about him. And at the same time, they're learning more about her and saying, okay, I understand why he cares about her so much. But getting back to the whole plot thing, I think the reason why there's so much plot in this one is that I believe he died before he had a chance to really edit the book. And they just said he really didn't edit it the way he wanted to. But we're going to put it out anyway. So that's what they had to go from. Because I'm right. pretty sure he would have pared down a lot of the subplots. <laughs> yeah. That's in Because the, there's four or five subplots yeah. that are going on. Despite the main one. You've got this kind of weird sort of almost flirtation going on between Elizabeth and her doctor in the front. Oh, half. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get the impression that she'd jump his bones given the oh, chance. Oh, absolutely. You've got not Jacoby. So, not, why don't I keep calling him Jacoby? But the, that's what you want him to be. The detective characters, two assistants running around trying to like close up loose ends. I almost respect the film for not having a definitive ending. It's almost as if the filmmaker is saying, hey, life is messy like this. You don't close one book and open up another. Sometimes things continue on. Well, me and you have talked about this in the past. Mm -hmm. For me, the best movies and the best books, for that matter, I should get the sense that these people had a life before I opened up yeah. this book or started watching this movie and their lives will continue on. Right. After I finish. This has just been an episode of their lives that I've been allowed to get an insight right. on but they're going to go on and they're going to do other things maybe one day in the future we will revisit them again yes. but if we don't it's still alright there's no tidy ending to this and you gave me some information before we started doing that that you should share with the people which information this tied into the thing I made at the beginning when I was oh, with yeah, the writer yeah. so, you know. now the thing is is that we don't know if this is true or not but supposedly Steve Larson died very suddenly yep. he died extremely suddenly and I don't think he ever had the chance to realize how much his characters have touched so many people right he died in the middle of editing the last book right. and supposedly his assistant has claimed after a couple of months that she discovered fragments of four other books that he was playing and writing in the series. Mm -hmm. And she was going to try to finish them. Mm -hmm. And the first book in that reconstructed series of four, the girl with the sturgeon tattoo, is either out now or is about to come out. Okay. Supposedly, he had a whole lot of stories he wanted to tell with these characters. Now, granted, neither of us have read the book, but the impression I get from people who have read the book is that, yeah, this was kind of a Mary Sue prestige. That Mickey was an idealized version of himself, and okay. Elizabeth was some sort of idealized girlfriend type. I don't know if this is a real thing or if this is just the idea of somebody trying to August or let him. Right. If they just got somebody, why don't you just write a sequel and we're going to put his name on yeah. it and we're going to say this and we're going to say that. But you go ahead and you go try it. Or Andrew uh, Niederman, mm -hmm. who did V.C. Andrew books longer than yeah. Andrew did. Thank you. Wrote more books than V.C. Andrews. Yeah. Again, here's a case that we were making a joke earlier beyond that. Tupac Shakur is the best-selling <laughs> yes. dead artist of all time. He's been dead for 15 years and he still keeps coming up with a new yeah. album every year. V.C. Andrews, I was saying, wait a minute, didn't this bitch die 250 yeah. years ago? <laughs> and there's another... What happened was the V.C. Andrews estate came to Andrew Niedermeyer, the guy who wrote The Devil's Advocate mm -hmm. and wrote a whole slew of other books and asked him to be the official V.C. Andrews. Have you ever read any of those things? Oh, they're awful. I read Flowers in the Attic. Attic yeah. Yeah. Because that was the big one. That was the first yeah. one. Like, yeah, right, yeah. And they made the movie out of it. And I said, well, let me pick it up just to see what everybody's talking about. I said, God, this is dreadful. It'll make a fortune. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it did. Nobody ever lost money underestimating the intelligence of the American consumer. 
So Just ask Stephanie Myers. So why aren't we rich? I don't know. We got integrity. So anyway, screw it. As is the case, yes, with any foreign film that is wildly successful, oh yeah, everywhere else, what does an American production company do? Does it decide to bring the film over and do an incredibly large, wide release? Well, they did. Well, they did an art house release, which they isn't did. the same thing. All three of the movies did have the actual run. They did have the That made money. That even made money, yeah, but they were art house releases. One or two screen in every city. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about is why didn't, let's say, Paramount or Warner Brothers, seeing how successful these books are and these films are, release it in a thousand theaters across the country? No, what they did was they bought the rights and called up a couple of directors and said, do you want to do a version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Mm-hmm. And who eventually said yes? Our good friend David Fincher. We're going to get an Americanized version of this. And to be fair, I can see how easily the first book could translate. You just move it from an isolated area in Sweden to the islands off the coast of Seattle. Seattle, right. Or or New England. Or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Remember, there are like 50 islands in the Charles River. That's what I was thinking of. Just off the coast of Boston. Right. If they had to make a remake and they had to get a director to do it, then David Fincher, I'm glad he got him. Darren Aronofsky, I could see him Or Nolan. Nolan, yeah. I could see them doing this easily. I'm really not that opposed to the idea of making an American remake if you have have the intention, which you should have, of making the best possible remake that you can that is faithful to the source material. And from the bits and parts that I've seen of it, it looks like they are sticking pretty close. My biggest worry is that I'm feeling like now that the television spots, Mm -hmm. and I'm worried that they're trying to take the whole trilogy and mush it down into one movie. That could be it. Because there are like shots of her in jail, and I'm like, oh my lord, no, no. Yeah, like they could be trying to do that because they're probably saying they don't know how well this movie is going to do, so let's try to tie up all the loose ends and one movie and see. I'm with you. I, I think that if you're going to do the trilogy, then damn it, go ahead and do the, the trilogy. trilogy. What they yeah. should have did, they should have did what they did for Lord of the Rings. You got right, that. Back to back to right, back. Right, just film them all at one time. Although, to be fair, since they cast Daniel Craig, that's no longer possible because, of course, Craig has the prior commitment to Bond. Well, the Bond series got to be uh, yeah, there, right. and they're... Yeah, totally going forward with this one that's they're calling Skyfall right now. Yeah. Maybe it's just me, and I'm sure it is just me. Mm-hmm. But I think they're trying a little bit too hard with this new series of Bond to make it respectable because they've got all these Academy Award winning actors in there now. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're hearing about. Oh, the level of acting is going to elevate yeah. the Bond. Screw that. Who's going to be the supervillain trying to take over the yeah, world? That's exactly. all I want to know. It's a James Bond movie. We don't want supervillains now. We want a realistic Bond. Fuck that. I don't want to be a guy with a giant doohickey that sucks up all the water in the world hey, or something like that. Thank you. Give me. Goldfinger trying to steal Fort Knox. Yeah. I don't need an art house James let me, Bond. Okay, let me get a super who actually steals Fort Knox. He, Not the gold in Fort Knox. Steals Fort Knox. There you go. Bingo. <laughs> Wake up one morning, Fort Knox is fucking gone. <laughs> right. Well, what happened to Fort Knox? We don't know. Call James Bond. Bond. There you go. Here he is. He's James Bond. Da, da, I don't need an art house James Bond. I don't need you to get Anthony Hopkins and Ralph Fiennes and every other Academy Award British actor to give James Bond respectability. He's already got that. Just give me a good story. And I heard nothing about what the story is going to be or what it's going to be about. Because it seems like no 
nobody cares about yeah. that. Now, if they were really clever, right. they would cast a Cardassian as the villain. After what Craig said. See, I'd see that. As much as I don't care about the Kardashians, I'd go see that. Seriously. And I've heard that the director of this movie, he said he wants to direct the first James Bond movie that's nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture. I, I got nothing wrong with that, but the way to do it is to do it based on what James Bond does better right. than anybody else. Not try to turn it into something that it's yeah. not. I'm not going to... to this James is Mendes, right? Yeah. Now, my first thought is Sam Mendes, not my first... Or my second, or my fourth, or my fifteenth choice to be a James Bond director. Well, there you go. But we did have a couple of unusual choices in the past, and they worked out okay. That's true. But this one is going to be the make it or break it for me, because after the disaster that was Quantum of Solace... Quantum, I mean Solace. This one better... Do something for me. Getting back to the Americanized version of... Yeah, I think that Fincher is the best person to handle this since he's done outsider characters before. Yeah. He's definitely got a feel for it. Those trailers that showed up this spring with the Nine Inch Nails version of Immigrant Song... Okay. ...really just blew me out of the seat. Yeah. Because you were looking at it and you said, holy shit, what the hell is this? Yeah, and then it occurs to you what it is. I'm like, oh my yeah, god. Yeah, when it hit me what it is, I said, yeah. holy shit, okay. And David Fincher, too? I said, okay, yeah. I'm there. Usually, I say, eh, I have to wait. But I got a good feeling about yeah. this. I really do. Well, because, well, first off, I mean, Fincher is one of these directors where no matter what he does, you want to get on board. It's going to be worth seeing. Yeah. If nothing else. Even yeah. if it is a brilliant failure, which it could be. But, as I've said many times... Sometimes I'd rather watch a brilliant failure than, than a, a perfectly fine piece of sausage. A product that sometimes that brilliant failure can be more of a rewarding film experience than watching something. They did everything by the numbers. They did yes. it right, but it was boring as hell. Audience, do you want some sausage? Yes. Audience, do you want some sausage? Sorry. I don't know why I flashed on that Tom Green film. Which one was that? Freddy Got Fingered. I've never seen it. Oh, it's it's one of those well, see, truly that, that's heroically dreadful movies. But one of the more bizarre and surreal moments is his father walks in on him and he's got these sausages connected by string and pulley system to this organ and he's playing the organ. Mm -hmm. And every time he presses a key, the sausages kind of like do a little dance. And he's going, Daddy, would you like some sausage? Daddy, would you like some sausage? Now, I'm going to tell you something. About 30 seconds ago, yes. you know what I was hearing when you were talking? What? The Charlie Brown voice. That's what I hear when I zone out, when I hear stuff that makes no sense to me. <laughs> so anyway. I'll be talking to my wife and she says, you're hearing the Charlie Brown voice, aren't you? Yes. I say, yes, I am. Just the other day, I yeah. was on Live Journal. And I was making a comment. Somebody had made a comment about Sean of the Dead. Right. And I said that wasn't my thing. I didn't think okay. it was funny. And I, and I thought Hot Fuzz was even less funnier. And somebody said, well, your taste in movies must be too highbrow because they were hilarious. Well, they were hilarious to you. That scene that you just mentioned. I cannot imagine. Well, I couldn't imagine it either. I cannot imagine why in the world anybody would find that funny. What's funny about that? Well, I guess that's why Tom Green doesn't have a career anymore. There you go. Because he's not funny. Lost his career, lost Drew Barrymore. <laughs> See, I don't blame him for that. I give him points for nailing Drew Barrymore. It's <laughs> Drew Barrymore I want to sit down and ask him, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> See, Tom Green, kind of like... I think we both want to just sit Sarah Silverman down and say... Yeah, Sarah... Jimmy Kimmel? Really? Jimmy... Sarah, you're nuclear hot. Yes. That was the best you could do? Jimmy Kimmel? You're the or Serena Williams. Serena. Brett Ratner? <laughs> 
really? You're kidding. <laughs> you know, seriously, I don't blame the guys because they got yeah. good taste. They demonstrate exceptionally good taste yes. for the women they go after. It's the women. I was, really? Oh, uh, well, okay. <laughs> okay, if that's what you... <laughs> My biggest worry about the... Getting back, this is an episode about the Girl Who trilogy. Remember yes, the Girl Who trilogy? Yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> Now I've got this image of Tom Green playing Mickey and Sarah Silverman playing Elizabeth. Yes. Well, you know Sarah Silverman would just That's smack it. Tom Green all over the and place. Sarah Silverman probably would do a hell of a good job yeah. playing that character. Sarah Silverman, the poster girl for Jewish hotness. I've never seen her play a dramatic role, but I'm yeah. willing to bet. I would go so far as to say I believe that if she did a dramatic role, she'd probably be nominated yeah, well, for an Academy Award. You know how we've always talked about the idea that some of the best dramatic actress and actresses are comedic actors. Mm -hmm. Because they're taught from a very early age, for the comedy to work, you have to treat things utterly seriously. Right. So they know how to make even the most ridiculous things seem, in their head, right. logical. Yeah. But I mean, that's my only worry, is that they're going to try to smush too much of the three books together in this one film. Right. If that's the case, it will be an incoherent mess. The first book is so streamlined and so linear. And, yeah. and what's more, it's self-contained so that if the film fails, they never have to return to it. Well, that's it. Even the first movie. If you never even wanted to watch the other two, you could watch the yes. first one and get a complete story and be satisfied with that. However, the problem with the second one is that once you've seen the second one, then you really got to go on to the third one. You really have to see the third one. For purposes, two and three are one story. It's like well, Empire yes. Strikes Back. And you really have to, okay, well, shit, now, okay, well, he got his hand cut off. Darth Vader's his father. I got to watch the third yeah. one now. So, and what do we get? A bunch of hamsters on legs. Now, I understand why... I like the Ewoks. Okay, I understand why we had hamsters on legs, because they couldn't find enough tall actors they can because party. they wanted They could party. Apparently, George Lucas's vision was that that was going to be the Wookiee planet. It was going to be the Wookiee planet, right? They couldn't yeah. find enough tall actors. So, well, we can find enough short actors. I, Let's know, make them hamsters. I don't see why it just didn't go to the whole NBA and say who yeah. wants to be in Star Wars. And that's it, and they would have been in there. I have no idea if this is true, but mm -hmm. I keep hearing this persistent rumor in, in, in one of the prequel right. uh, movies. There's a big fight scene with a bunch of Jedi Knights, yeah. and there's hundreds of Jedi Knights fighting. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've heard this rumor said that Queen Latifah is in there because she's a Star Wars right. fan, and there's a number of other actors that are in there yeah. because they want to be Jedis. And George Lucas said, come on, and we'll put you in costume, and you'll be in yeah. there. This is like the Backstreet Boys, they're in there. <laughs> Serious, this is what I heard. If anybody knows if there's any proof yes. to this rumor, please contact me by well, Facebook I mean, and let me know. Like, for example, like in Star Wars, we had Jane Wheatland of the Go Goes as an Andoran in mm. one of the films yeah. for like five seconds <laughs> or even more because I just covered in Damn Your Eyes, Damn Your Ears, Batman and Robin because Mark Bosquet was afraid to. No, just kidding, Mark. Oh, no, he did it. Yo, okay. he did a paragraph from what I understand. I admire him for that. <laughs> and me, you keep saying that. Well, for God's sake, people, it's a 20-year-old movie. Let it go already. Nobody gives a shit. No Let me put it this way. I don't give a shit if you hate yeah. it. I really don't. I'm tired of hearing it. I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't care if you hate it or not. Keep it to yourself from now on. Well, I like okay? to think that I brought a perspective to it. And you did, my friend, yes. as usual, because you were thoughtful. Yeah. You were intelligent. You know how to present your argument without resorting to the time-honored, it's soft. <laughs> Joel Schumacher is Earth's greatest villain. No, oh. no, he's not. 
please already. In the words of William Shatner, get a life. My God. But you, one know, of the you hating Batman and Robin is not going to stop the sun from shining the next yeah. day. It is not going to stop them from making shitty superhero movies. All right? So but one of the things I pointed out was that this film had a number of cameos for the sake of there being cameos. Right. Joel Schumacher was able to get Coolio for a day. The movie stops and there's Coolio. There's Coolio. Vivica Fox. Oh, God. It? Yeah, who is, I think, the most... Mis- oh, actually, no. The worst was Vendel. I don't even know who that is. Okay. Back in the early 90s, uh-huh. Vendela was the Victoria's Secrets mom. She was in that first class with Naomi Campbell mm-hmm. and a couple of the others. Oh, okay. But she was the big face, much like Mrs. Crybaby quarterback is now. Okay. And what is her role? She floats in a tank for about three minutes. See, I don't even remember that. She plays Victor Freeze's wife. Oh, okay. So she All literally right. All right. floats in a tank for three minutes. Okay, but I didn't know that was her. And we see yeah. her being fed cake by Arnold when Arnold's looking at the... But they did the same thing in the previous movie, Batman Family, where In Vogue was in there for five seconds. In Vogue was in there for five seconds. Yeah. Debbie Mazur was Debbie in there Debbie Mazur was there for five too. seconds, yeah. It's yeah, like so people who just wandered onto the set that yeah. day and they snatched, oh, you want to be I, in? I, you're saying it's true. I'd rather have that kind of where it's like, if you see it, you see it. If you don't, you don't. As opposed to... As it was handled in Batman and Robin, it's like, and here is Coolio. When they stopped the movie. Let us look at the glory that is Coolio. When they stopped the movie, they just, okay, they got to justify having yeah. him in the movie. So they want to make a big deal. I'd rather have a movie where I got to stop saying, wait a minute, is that who I thought it yeah. was? I'd rather have that than you just put the camera in his face and make no distinction about, okay, this is who it is. Or like when Brendan Fraser was in the G.I. Joe movie. Yeah, that, that's it. Didn't call attention to yeah. it. Because I said, holy shit, is that yes. who I think it is? And I had to put back, back yeah. the DVR. I said, holy shit, that is Brendan yep. Fraser. I said, wow. Now, see, that I like. That's the way to handle a cameo. Don't right. draw any attention to it. Make us do a little bit of work. Well, see, I'm, I don't mind doing yeah. the work. So. Now, one more thing we should probably, before we go into the administrative. Nomi Rapace has done the Hollywood Shuffle. Okay. And she's going to actually showing up in the Sherlock Holmes movie, Book of Shadows. Right. Now, this is the one that's going to be introducing Moriarty, right? Yes, they will. Gave that away in the trailers, of course, uh, that Moriarty is going to be in this one. I pray that Nomi Rapace does not go down the Carrie Mulligan road. How so? Carrie Mulligan is now any other Hollywood actress. Okay. Carrie Mulligan was so distinctive when she was on British TV, when she was playing Sally Sparrow in Doctor Who. Okay. When she was doing all these other things in British television. Okay. She comes to America, and now she's just any other Hollywood actress. Uh, yeah, that's what happens because that's the Hollywood system. In order to work in the Hollywood system, that's what happens to you. Right. And we have talked about this before. They brought her over here and they put her in American movies because she's hot at the time and she's internationally yeah. hot, which means that she's got a following over right. there, so the movie will do well over there. Let the next movie that she makes is a bomb. You'll never yeah. see her in American films again. Hello there, Carrie. Welcome to the box. Don't mind Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. I'm all my doing still in this box. Shut up. Because you want to stay here instead of taking your ass back to yeah. Britain where you should go. Rebuild your career there. Stop trying to have a career here in America. Go back there. Not everybody can be you, Lori. But I think Nomi Rapace has such a charisma. Being who she is. Not being a generic Hollywood actor. There's something about her that just draws your eye to her. I am hoping that that does not get leached out. That she does not go down the Carrie Mulligan road and become just another actress. Only time will tell, and the choices that she makes in the movies, that it doesn't hurt that she's going to be in a movie that is guaranteed, without mm-hmm. a doubt, 
that it's going to be a big hit. I mean, I don't think there's anybody out there that would disagree with me that Sherlock Holmes is going to make Book a shadow. Yeah. It's going to make a shitload which, of money. Which means, I mean, the first weekend. Once again, that Robert Downey Jr. is the first actor since Sliced Alone to have not one, but two successful franchises running concurrently. And good for him. Good for him, yeah. I've always liked Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. Even when he was going through his troubles, I've always liked him. And I always felt he had the potential to be the star that he is now. Yeah. And I'm just glad that he didn't burn himself out or, God forbid, die from drugs for enjoying the success that he's enjoying now. So to sum up, the original trilogy, I think we can say, even with my reservations about the second one, they're all really good. They're all available right now for streaming on Netflix. So if you've got Netflix, you can set aside a whole night or a Saturday or wait for a snowy Sunday right. and watch them all in one clip, one bang, 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 yeah. bang them out all that was. Which, considering the nature of the second and third one, I call them the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi right. of this thing. Except because, without hamsters. Because the second one leaves off with a cliffhanger. Right. So you do have to see the third one in order to get the resolution to the cliffhanger. But the first one definitely is a standalone story. And by all means, if you don't even watch the other two, watch that one. Right. Especially if you're planning on watching the American remake, which is a nice little bit of counter-programming. I said, because it comes out Christmas Day. <laughs> Now, why would a movie come out, out like this on Christmas Day? Well, you got to remember something. There are a lot of people out there that don't like Christmas because yeah. they, for one reason or another, either they're separated from their families or they're estranged from their families. Yeah. Maybe they got to work or for whatever reason. So a lot of people, and they don't want to go see the nice, cheerful Christmas yeah. movies. They don't want to go see Harry Christmas or whatever that movie is. Oh, you know, Arthur Christmas. Arthur Christmas. Yeah. Oh, there was a Harry Christmas, wasn't there? Yeah, there was a Harry Christmas. And there was Fred Claus. Fred, there you go. So a lot of people don't want to go see that. They'd rather go see a movie about a horrible murder. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's a nice little bit of counter-programming. There you go. So uh, I'm sure that both Tom and I will see it, and we'll, and we'll be giving you our review of that in a future episode. In, in the new year. Of Better in the Dark. Yes. So now it's time to whether go you on love us, whether you hate us, whether you want to say that yes, Joel Schumacher is history's greatest villain, and we are too blind to realize that. In which case you need to grow up. There's a number of ways you could reach us. You can send us an email at Better in the Dark at Earth Two Net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth Hyphen Two Net. You can join our message board at Better in the Dark It's lonely and needs company. Yes, it does. Does, very much so. And if you're not on our message board, you are missing out on special features such as Eddie Love's Saturday Matinee, where he reviews a a genre movie from the 70s and 60s. And let me say right now that Eddie Love, that's the name he uses on the board. I have no idea if it's his actual name or not, but he is a wonderful writer. He reviews some really upset. He even dug up a Gene Hackman yeah. movie I had never heard of. Anybody that can do that. Got to my respect. Because you know how much of a Gene Hackman yep. fan I am. I thought I knew every Gene Hackman movie there was. He found one I had never yeah. heard of. So, my so there is exclusive yeah. content on that message board you don't get anywhere else. Absolutely. You can join our Facebook page. You just go to Facebook, type in Better in the Dark, and take a seat. Because that one's popping pretty regularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, me and you are on there all yeah, the time. Yeah, we're on there all the time. And we've got a regular cast of characters. Yeah. <laughs> What did you make of that post Joel made where he got the invitation to the set of Triple X parody of the X-Men? Oh, I was jealous. I never get invited to shit like that. Actually, I want to see something here while I remember it. I want to see how close to... Shoot, who does he know? This is the girl playing Rogue. Oh, okay. They got it right. Who's going to be looking at her face? That's true. (laughs) Late searches. 
Allie Hayes feet. Okay, but as we were saying, <laughs> yes, better in the dark. Movie criticism plus porn talk. Absolutely, you get it all here, baby. You can also follow Derek and myself on Facebook. We use our own names; they're not hard to find. That's right. Pulpworks Press. Go there, pulpworkspress.com, where you can order, among other things, the brand new Dylan anthology, Four Bullets for Dylan, and where you also have yesterday. You can find it on Amazon.com for. 99 cents mm-hmm. How the West Was Weird Campfire Tales which has stories in there written by myself Joshua Reynolds Russ Anderson and Joel Jenkins stories about the West with a tinge of the weird the wonderful science fiction horror and fantasy it's available as an ebook on Amazon.com for 99 cents you can't tell me that you don't have 99 cents <laughs> I don't want to hear how many stories are in that? four Four stories. Four stories for 99 cents. So for less than a quarter of a story. Are we able to announce what Russ told us? About what? About what's coming up with the How the West Was Weird franchise. Well, he, he has not made an official announcement okay. as yet, but what happened was that in uh, email conversations with Russ, I asked him, well, should I get to work on a new Sebastian Red story? And he said, yes. So, so take that. As you will. And also, i just like to say that we are very thankful that Russ, after a very serious yes. illness, he's recovered, he's fine, and he's back home with his wife and his daughter. And I know that they're happy to have him back, and I'm glad to hear that. He's yes. back, and he's back to work. and Well, not to work at his regular job, but he's still at home recuperating. But, yes, he's at work as far as writing goes. Right. He's involved in another project that I'm not going to talk about right now. But if you go on Facebook, you may be hearing a lot of talk about Pope Obscura. If you go to our Better in the Dark page, you'll see links about the Pope Obscura project and mm. follow those links. And that will explain it better than I can <laughs> because right. it, it takes a lot of time to explain what it is. And we're going to now introduce another person we're going to ask you to go visit because you have some stuff coming out from this person. I do? Yeah, Airship 27. Oh, Our good yeah. friend Ron Fortier. Right. Who was on episode 99, and I think we have invited him back to talk about movie soundtracks. Well, you know, Ron is one of those people. Ron is the captain of Airship 27, yeah. which is rapidly gaining ground as one of the leading publishers of New Pope and classic pulp action adventure. Ron has a standing invitation to come back whenever he wants to. He, yeah. And he called me up right now and said... Put me on right now. Right. We put him on right now. That's how much we love Ron around here. Matter of fact, I got something out in Mystery Men Volume 2, A Man Called Mongrel. All of Ron's Airship 27 books are available through Amazon. I'm looking at the Amazon store right now. Mm-hmm. And while it's still fairly early, you know how much I've gotten done of this. Right. There's something coming that's going to be coming from Airship 27. Okay. And it's going to be big. And that's all I'm going to say about it right now. Big! 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 It's like that commercial. You see that commercial? Yes. Big! 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 Then they have the black girl come up there scream, big! (laughs) So start saving your money now, folks. Yeah, start saving your money. There's a lot of stuff. But it's like, I mean, I'm looking here and there's like books from a lot of the people who are foremost in the new pulp. I see Andrew Salmon, I see Ron himself, I see Van Allen Plexico, a whole lot of like... Yeah, Van just had Blackthorn. 
Right. Book that came out. Which, if you uh, are a big fan of, of the classic cartoon Thunder the Barbarian, yeah, uh, I would suggest that you pick up Blackthorn because, let's say, it is <laughs> uh, Thunder was a heavy influence on this character and this anthology, which is written by a lot of talented people. But if you go to the Airship 27 website, and we'll put a link to it up on the Facebook page so you can get there. There's yeah. a lot of goodness there. There's a lot of goodness all over. There's yeah. Tommy Hancock with his Prose Press. He's got stuff, and he's the one that's involved in this Pulp Obscura thing. Right. So next year is going to be an exciting time if you're into Pulp, New Pulp, or Classic Pulp. Right. Or just good writing in particular. Mm-hmm. I can promise you that next year is going to be a lot of good reading coming down the pike. Okay? Okay. Isn't that it? And finally, of course, we want to remind folks, the last stop, of course, as always, is uh, alteredvisions.org. Absolutely. Where Derek and I have our own little corner of the Marvel Universe. We do the Avengers. And supposedly sometime real, real soon, and maybe out by the time you read this, you listen to this, when you talk about you read this, West Coast Avengers 19, which is the first part of Infected, mm-hmm. which is written by both of us. Yeah. So lots of fun stuff there. And, of course, go to the forum page, which has been just recently redesigned yes. and overhauled, and go there, and after you read the stories, you can leave your opinions on the forum page. Yes. Or you can contact Tom and I directly and tell us by the methods which my exactly. partner has already described. So that's it, folks. Okay. Until next time, Until when next time. a guy with no feeling in his body comes looking for you, asking about a woman with a laptop and a tattoo gun and some very curious ideas on how to use it, go see, see that, that movie. movie. Good night. Good night. Go see those movies. Those, yes. <laughs> You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E.J. and Eric Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Michael Bailey of Views from the Long Box, Jim Moon of Hypnagoria, the Zone 4 crew, Eric Froman, of course, all the lovely members of our Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark knows this outro has no quotations, but given that every film we discussed was in Swedish, we didn't have a lot to work with. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.betterinthedarksite.com. And don't forget to check out all the amazing music available at www.b-hyphen.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net Media Podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas E. Jane Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember to never piss off a woman who has access to a tattoo gun.